0: Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 and uh, confess to you right away that uh, I am not going to be doing a Mother's Day message, and, uh, and yet my, my message will have all kinds of uh, stories about moms and that, and I want to share one right away with you. I know there's some that think because you're a pastor that your family and uh, kids are all perfect and everything's just right, and I just want to assure you that that's not the case in the Bidal home. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I was at an elders' meeting I got a call that came to the church office from my youngest son. He must have gotten the number, uh, six years old, called the church office and said, I need to talk to Dad. And on the phone he says, Dad, I want you to come home. I know you have an elders meeting, but I want you to come home right now. And I said, son, what's going on? Yeah, it's not good, Dad. Dad, you need to come home. And, uh, and I knew just from some of the ambient noise going on in the background that Mom was having a tough day. And uh, so I told Luke, I said, I'll, I'll finish up this portion of the meeting, and then I'll make my way home. Good, Dad, good. It'll be good that you're home. And, and I get home, and the same ambient noise that I was hearing on the phone is going on when I walk through the garage door. And it's with my uh, middle son and, and his mom. And, and uh, my middle son is our justice-oriented, very passionate, always right son. And uh, he's having an argument with his mom, and uh, neither of them are giving in. And uh, that's when the dad quietly... Uh, takes uh, the boy and has a conversation with him and gives mom a a bit of a reprieve. And so I take him up the stairs, and he doesn't want to go to his room. He's really, he's angry, he's upset. And uh, and I don't even remember what they were per se arguing about. I know Amanda was right. But anyway, um, but in the conversation, he's so angry, visibly upset. He's saying, Dad, don't make me say it. Don't make me say it. Dad, I don't want to have to call her woman. I don't want to have to call her woman. I will call her woman if I have to. I'm like, what What in the world are you talking about? Call your mom woman. Where did you get this? I learned it in Sunday school class. Jesus called His mom woman. And I'm not afraid to call my mom woman. Well, if you don't know... If you don't know... Now, I want to remind you, eight years old, okay? Eight years old. He says, I wanted to call the Sunday school teacher. I'm not sure which of you it was, okay? Okay? But but at some point, this kid had gotten to the story of the wedding feast at Cana in John chapter 2, where Jesus says, woman, this does not concern me. Why are you bringing me into this matter, woman? And uh, knowing that I needed a wise statement to tell my son, I said, you know what, let me tell you something. You keep calling your mom woman, and I'm going to tell you something. You are going to meet Jesus. So we'll just... Uh, We'll just leave it at that. And so, with that, as we celebrate moms, and, and even though we at times have to deal with difficult matters within our homes and that, I want to take a moment before we get into a very, very difficult passage this morning to, to share a word from your elders and, and a group of men um, that, uh, that I want to share with you as, as, as we want to share our heart with the, not only the moms of this, of this church, but the ladies as well, recognizing that Mother's Day is a special day for moms. But, but we want to recognize all the ladies that are in our church from the youngest to the youngest. And uh, we, wanna, we want to uh, uh, share that uh, with you. And so let me just read what I have written down and, um, and just share from uh, my heart. Uh, I want to not only say thank you to the moms in our midst, we want to thank each of our ladies. I want to share with you that you, in all of your beauty and glory, show us God's grace and love through your obedience to Him. Village Bible Church is a church that is immensely blessed because we have such wonderful women who use their gifts and abilities to make this place an oasis of God's love and compassion. But let me remind you, as ones who oversee the, the place of your soul, that the devil hates you. And He wants you to hate yourself. He wants you to believe His lies, that you are only about your looks, and that your significance is only found in the things that you do. And our world has done a masterful job at making you fall for it. So no matter where you find yourself today, no matter what you have in your past or what you're dealing with in your present, we want you to know that God loves you. And he longs for you to embrace him and to see him as absolutely glorious. So stop listening to the lies of the devil and stop embracing the pattern of this world. And, ladies, find your identity first and foremost in the most important place, not as a mom, not as a wife not as a career woman or a homemaker, not as the most popular kid in your class or the best dressed or the most likely to succeed from human standpoints. Find your identity first and foremost as a daughter of the Most High God. It's because of that and what you have meant to us that we say in one collective voice, We love you. And we rise together as a congregation and call you blessed. Thank you, ladies, for showing us Christ. Thank you for showing us the love he has called us to show one another. Amen. Now, we pivot to what is probably the first time in all of Christendom, this is history, that this passage will probably be preached on Mother's Day. Commentators write, as I read different uh, studies on this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, the study that we have been studying for some time now as a church, we come to what commentators say is the most sobering of all passages in all of Scripture. And yours truly, has made a decision to preach that on Mother's Day. Now, I do not stand here as the one who has the authority to do so, and I know that I am in part of a cultural taboo and a cultural no-no to preach a tough text on Mother's Day, and so I do not speak under my own authority, but under the authority of the two most important moms in my life, my wife and my own mother, to which I sought their advice. And both of them, in their own way, say, Tim, make us proud and preach the Word and preach Jesus. Here's why I love my mom. Here's what she said on this wonderful day where we celebrate moms. I asked her at the soccer field yesterday during a soccer game, Mom, I'm going to preach this text. I shared the text with her. What do you think? Is it, is it too difficult of a text to deal with? Here's what my mom said, and that's why I rise and call her blessed. She says, Tim, what good is a phone call? A card or flowers, or even the most extravagant gift if we as moms know that people we love are on their way to hell. Preach the Word. It's the greatest thing any godly mom would want to hear. So, I'm going to do what my mom says. And I'm going to preach a very tough text, but I believe that as we go through this text, we're going to hear the grace of Jesus Christ, as difficult as it is. And I pray that we would hear it, and we would do so under the heading things your mom can say but you better hope Jesus doesn't turn in your bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23 if you don't have a bible with you this morning i would say grab that pew bible in front of you and open up we want you to see what god's word and what jesus is saying to you and not just to take my word for it and you can find that passage on on page 812 page 812 and then I'm going to also read a companion text uh, of the same uh, events that are taking place in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to turn to Matt—I'm sorry, Luke 13, verses 22 through 30, and I'll give you the page number in a second with regards to that. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and uh, let's, we'll ask God's blessing on our time. Here's what the text says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven In your pew Bible, turn to page 872. If you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, you can find our passage in Luke chapter 13, verse 22. So go to the right from the book of Matthew and the book of Mark and then the book of Luke. Luke chapter 13, verse 22, page 873 is where you'll find that. Here's what Luke says with regards to the same event. He went on through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and and you taught in our streets. But Jesus will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves cast out. Father God, we come before you, and Lord, we do rise up to call the ladies and the moms in our church, blessed. And we're thankful for it. But Lord, we also know as important as celebrating the life and the ministry of moms, we also recognize that there are important matters that, Lord, even a week of, of taking off, Lord, were, are too important to, to uh, take a break from. And so, Lord, this text has been on my heart for some time. And I thank you for the allowance of this church to allow me to uh, forego some cultural things that we do as a church to uh, stick with this Sermon on the Mount for yet another week. So Lord, I pray you'd speak through me. You'd speak to the hearts of all of us in what may be one of the most important texts any hearer of the Word of God can ever hear and know to understand. So Lord, I pray you'd speak through me in in a powerful way in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I single-handedly have locked in sainthood for my mom. Scholars would say, at looking at my growing up years, that they could be summed up with two very important words. When they look at Tim, the two words that come to mind are reckless abandon. And some of you have been a part of that. Some of you, knowing that I grew up here in the church, were a part of that roller coaster for a short amount of time, screaming your head off, please let it stop, please let it stop. But my mom was there and has fully come to an understanding of what the writers of the song from Credence Clearwater Revival said about yours truly when they said, I see a bad moon arising, I see trouble on the way. From the fire that I started in our living room, to a police rap sheet, to public outbursts at school events, concerts, and even my high school graduation ceremony, to my very public impeachment as a college student body president, my mom has endured all of it and so much more. She used to say to me over and over again, if I wasn't there when you were born, I wouldn't think you're my own child. right when you start judging my mom I'm giving you a cliff notes version of some of the things that I did to that poor woman and I will tell you on numerous occasions fully brought to levels of total exasperation my mom in a total natural and real sense would say depart from me I never knew you you worker of lawlessness now we all recognize as I do that those moments are short-lived. Those moments pass by quickly. As soon as it was that my mom would send me packing my bags and heading for a life in the gulags of Siberia, my mom's forgiveness and compassion and long-suffering would win the day. And I would be given yet again another chance to the chagrin of most of the judges and police officers and Sunday school teachers everywhere. And yet our text this morning tells us that there is a reality for many of us at a time in the future where we will stand before Jesus Christ and be held accountable for the lives that we've lived. But here's the problem while your mom may forgive you over and over and over again. that's what they're supposed to do. And as failed and flawed people, they recognize their own frailties and their own issues and their own struggles, that at this moment of time that Jesus is talking about, Jesus makes it clear that there will be no second chances, there will be no redos, there will be no, you know what, as the cooler heads have prevailed, maybe we've been a little rash and maybe we'll change our mind. No, Jesus seems to be emphatic in what He says is going to come, and you and I would do ourselves well to be prepared and ready for that day. And so Jesus has some things to say to us today, and they are going to fall between two contrasts again. Notice that the first point in my outline is, is that Jesus has a word of confrontation. He has a word for confrontation. After preaching, as we learned last week about false prophets and, and the doctrines that they spew that defile many, Jesus seems to embrace, I'm sorry, address, what must be on the mind of each in the, in the crowd. Before you think that false teachers are the only thing you and I need to worry about, we need to recognize that our biggest opponent is not the devil, it's not false teachers, it's ourselves. You see, you and I are so easily deceived, not by others, as important it is to know who's deceiving us from the outside, but that you and I, in our professions of Jesus Christ and in the works that we do, can so deceive ourselves that we may believe that we have a real and true relationship with Jesus when in the end we do not. And Jesus seems to passionately and forcefully tell His people, I want you to examine the teachings and the lives of others around you who are teaching false things about Me. But also in that examination, make sure you're examining your own life, your own motives, your own desires, and why you do follow Me and why you do the things that you do for Me. And Jesus is once again reminding us it's a a choice that needs to be made. You have two gates that have two ways. We learned about that there are two types of teachers. Now we're going to learn that there are two types of faiths. Now before we get too far into this outline, I want to make a couple uh, observations this morning. I want you to write these down somewhere on the side of your outline so that you uh, will have some questions answered right away. Number one, the first thing I want you to recognize is we need to talk about the phrase on that day. When is that day happening? What is that day? That day is the day of judgment. Jesus is saying, many on the day of judgment will say... Now, what do we know about this day of judgment? If you want to, turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. In fact, to the very um, the second, let's see here, to the second to the last page of the entirety of Scripture. In the book of Revelation, John the Apostle, who is a part of the crowd where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, writes some of the final words that are contained in Scripture. And in John, I'm sorry, in Revelation 20 verse 11 in your pew Bibles, page 1040, John announces a little bit more about that day, and this is what John says after seeing a vision that God gives him about that day that will take place in the future. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So back in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus has declared to us that on that day, Many will stand before Him and give an account for what they've done in this life. And that there is a contrast. Those names that are written in the book of life will enter into the kingdom of God. Those whose names are not in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. So Jesus is talking about a real day, not a hypothetical one, a real day in the future which He has planned. And we don't know if it is today, tomorrow, or a hundred or a thousand years from now we know that God's promises are true and he is faithful to bring them about and that this day is coming number two we need to recognize and be reminded that hell is a real place it is seen in the truth that when Jesus says not all will enter the kingdom of heaven well that then begs the question where will they enter and Jesus is clear and so is John in his writings That there is the kingdom of heaven on one side and the kingdom of the lost on the other. And that place of lost is hell and it's a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of torment, a place of total lack of God's presence, not only for a time, but for all of eternity. Third observation I want to make. Jesus makes it abundantly clear in our text that many are lost and on their way to an eternity without God. He doesn't say there's a couple or there's a handful, but he says many on that day. Now, in context with the Broadway that he 's spoken about, uh, he has addressed that that many as multitudes upon multitudes of people are on their way to destruction, and so we need to seek to Uh, find ways to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, with all those who need to hear it. Final observation before we get into our outline is that we must understand that this passage addresses not only unbelievers in Jesus' audience, meaning Jesus isn't just talking to a group of people at the Sermon on the Mount, but he's addressing unbelievers of all time. And even those who today here in Sugar Grove in the year 2014 are deceiving themselves into thinking that I have a real and vibrant relationship with Jesus when in fact I do not. And Jesus says that the same words that he will address as he shared in the Sermon on the Mount will be words that could be addressed to even some of us. Now notice, how do we get this personal confrontation that Jesus gives? notice that this confrontation that day, on that day jesus will hear people say lord lord did i not do this did i not do that jesus is going to say that this confrontation is going to take place even amidst their own personal wishes now notice in the text that the text doesn't show a group of people that are um, waving their fists at god that are cursing god this is not a group of people that are in all-out rebellion against god these people have a desire to embrace Jesus. They have a desire to, in fact, sweet-talk Jesus. Now, sweet-talk or buttering up to somebody is a part of the human condition. While we have our son of thunder, Joshua, okay, who uh, gets fired up, we have a sweet-talking son who is Luke. He's our six-year-old, okay? And, and Luke is, I mean, just spot on. He, he just melts his mother's hearts at times. The two older boys are too dumb to know that they should keep quiet when they don't like something that's served to them on dinner. And mom, this is the worst dinner you've ever made. It doesn't taste very good and all of that. And, uh, and, and Luke will, will say, Mom, I just want you to know that this was the best dinner you could have made. Mom, you worked so hard and, and, and it just, man, and, and so if you ever see Luke with a black eye, you will know that what happened is he buttered up to mom and the other two kids uh, were vengeful and took care of that. But sweet talk will only get you so far, even when you try to use it. But I want you to notice that they are sweet talking Jesus. Notice what they say. First of all, they're very polite to Jesus. They address him as Lord. man they don't come to him and say you know Who, whoever you are or mr so and so or or uh, some derogatory name they they speak to him giving him the right title jesus you are Lord. Notice they do so because of the right beliefs. You are Lord. We believe you to be Lord. That's why we then affirm this Lordship on you. They're, they're saying the right stuff. Notice they're emphatic. They say Lord twice, which speaks of, it's not good enough for me just to say Lord once. I'm going to say it again because I want everybody to hear me that it's not mistaken. You are Lord, Lord. And so here amidst this public uh, declaration We have these people that are sweet-talking Jesus. Now, why in the world would they do so on the Day of Judgment? Why would they do that? Because the text tells us in Luke that they are seeing those who are entering the kingdom, and they are concerned about not being let in. And so they are doing all that they can on that Day of Judgment to make sure that Jesus hears them loud and clear that they want to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a problem. It's seemingly too late. Let me tell you, I learned this lesson when I was a 7th grader in junior high. And we were given an assignment. It was a contest at, at the school that we would read a bunch of books. And, uh, and we would keep track on all the books that we read. And, and there would be a chart that would have all the books of all the kids that read these different books. And at the end of it, if you read everything that you were supposed to, uh, the school had a special surprise for you uh, to be a part of. Now, not being a big, big school guy, I loved everything about school except for the studies, okay? I, I made the decision I wasn't even going to waste my time. I mean, really, what could the school offer me, okay? I mean, it, it probably was something real small. Why waste my time uh, reading all these books when it's gonna come out you know what you get you get a high five from the principal Oh, that's wonderful yeah what a great thing read twenty five books and get a high five from the principal I'm like I'm not gonna do that not gonna waste my time and and I remember mocking some of my classmates mocking them as I saw the the stars on the chart moving farther and farther and they're all like, wonder what the surprise is gonna be I'm like guys you guys are so dumb there's no surprise Hey, they, we're just pawns in this big system, okay? They get some extra credit or something in their paycheck for us reading books, and I'm not going to help them do that, okay? And then I remember the day when everyone of the class, everyone except for yours truly, had crossed the finish line. And the principal came in and said, here's our surprise. For everyone who crossed the finish line, we're taking you to great America. America. I kid you not I was the only kid in the middle school that did not pass the test the entire school got on buses and yours truly sat with the secretary and the only other person that was in the building was the janitor the principal even read the book so she could go on the trip okay And I stayed back. You know what my response was? Please, 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 please. I will read the books. I promise I will read the books. I I will read more books. Give me more but Just please let me go. To their response was, you had your opportunity and you missed it. You see, right now some of you are saying, you know, I'm not sure the Christian life is all that worth it. And I don't know what's being promised. But you know what? I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to pour my energy into something. At the end of the day, God just gives us this high five. And And you know what's going to happen? On that day of judgment, I believe God will give us a glimpse of what we're missing out on. And I think we're going to see that it is something so glorious. And we are absolutely going to be broken hearted if we are those who are found to be left outside of the kingdom of God. And what will our response be? We will get on our knees and we will draw close to Jesus and say, "Don't you know what I did? Don't you know? Let me, let me. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll do it. Don't you see the things that I did? And I did everything, man. Hey, I helped out the teacher with this and I helped the teacher with that. And, and you know, I was really good at recess and and I passed PE and all of that. And none of that would work. It was too late, and it was addressing the wrong issues. And some of us need to recognize that we might be some of those who will go to Jesus on that day. Now, here's the thing. Some of us think, some of us think, when I get there, I'm going to talk Jesus into letting me in. Some of you are great salesmen, or saleswomen. And you say, just give me a couple minutes with Jesus. I'll be able to talk my way through it. Jesus, I'm going to share my spiel with Jesus. And and at the end of the day, Jesus will say, right, right. you know what, yeah, you're really great. Come on in. Others of you will say, you know, you'll go to Jesus and say, hey, don't you know who I am? I'm, I'm so-and-so's kid and I went to so-and-so's church and I was, I was uh, friends with so-and-so and I read so-and-so's books and, and, and I will get in by association. Jesus will say, no. Still, others of you will look at your resume and say, don't you see how much I served? Don't you see how much I gave? Don't you see how, how on time at church I was and how many times I attended church? Here's my resume, Jesus. And on that day, we will try to sweet-talk our way into it. And just like that field trip, it will be too late. Now, how did people do it? Notice they do so by sharing prophetic words. In verse 22, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Simply put, it is possible for you and I to preach about Jesus and proclaim his salvation to others and even lead people to the Lord. To preach in His church, to lead Bible studies, to lead uh, in children's Sunday school classes, and help people see the love and mercy and grace of Jesus all the while yourself being lost. You see, these people were all saying the right things, and this truth should bring shivers down our spine. It should cause us to question every fiber of our being and ask, why do I preach and proclaim Jesus Christ and the grace of Almighty God? Is it for selfish gain? Is it for notoriety? Is it for the level of duty? Is it because if I don't, my parents might be mad at me? You know, These are questions I need to ask myself. Do I serve Christ because my parents are godly and lovely people who have given their life to serving God and if I want my parents to be happy with me well then I'll just go through the motions that I've got some warped idea that I would rather have the affection of my father and the affirmation of my father who is a preacher than the affirmation and affection of God why do I do the things and I want you to notice something that's very important within the construction of Jesus's words and what he says that people will say he shares the phrase did we not and That's not how we talk in English. And yet, the reason why the English translators bring that out is there is a very awkward um, way that Jesus uses it in the original Greek language. What Jesus is addressing is the awkwardness of these individuals who truly believe that they are to enter into the kingdom of God, that they've done all that was required of them and are simply dumbfounded to find out that they've been duped into a false sense of assurance and and certainty and so jesus gives this idea that there's this awkwardness wait a minute are you telling me i'm not going in i've done everything you've asked of me and i'm still not coming away wait wait a minute something is wrong Uh, charles spurgeon a a pastor of uh, of uh, a couple centuries ago put it this way look to the screen they used the name of jesus which is dear to the disciples of christ but they did not possess the nature of disciples. So they knew Christ's name, but they had not His nature. They quoted His name, but they had not uh, ever copied His example. They had never come to Him or trusted and loved Him. They knew His name, but they did not know Him. He knew their names, but He did not know them. There was no communion. There was no intimate intercourse between them. So what does that mean for us today? Just because you've prayed a prayer or come forward during an invitation, just because you're a member of the right church or have the right doctrine or or served in, in your time as a child or as a teenager or your whole life, does not mean on their own that they will bring you salvation. While all of these are important parts to the salvation story in the life of a believer, we must be very careful to hear the words of Jesus and understand if we are deceiving ourselves to the fact that one day we may try to talk our way into heaven, but it will be too late. And notice talking isn't enough because they begin to speak about their powerful works. Notice in the text, they've cast out demons, they've done mighty works, many of them. And so not only do they speak a good game, but now they are proving why they should enter into the kingdom of heaven by their works. And, and so you say right away, Tim, wait a minute, how can, how can an unbeliever do mighty works of God and still be lost in their sin? And notice, why do they do them? They did so in Jesus' name. We cast out demons in your name and we did many mighty works in your name just as we prophesied in your name. I want you to know the Bible says this is common within the life of biblical history. In Deuteronomy 13 verses 1-5, through five, Moses says, Don't fall for the prophets who do mighty works in order that they may lead you astray from God so we need to understand that in the days of Moses, there were those who were not followers of God, who were doing mighty works in his name. We need to also recognize that even the uh, pagan magicians were able to show some of the same works on demand that Moses was able to do in Pharaoh's court. In Matthew 24, 24, Jesus says in the latter days, They will be filled with false Christs and false prophets who arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead. And so we need to recognize that there will be those, even in these last days, who will be able to do things that look and smell and and are totally seemingly of Jesus when in fact they are not. Let's bring it closer to Jesus' home. Even amongst Jesus' closest disciples of the twelve, Judas was a part, based on the biblical narrative, of being sent out by Jesus and they came back, all of them speaking of healings, the cleansing of lepers, the raising of dead, the exercising of demons, and Judas would have been a part of every one of these works and he was completely lost. So this emphatically reminds us that no matter what you do in the name of Jesus, no matter how much your ministry has positively affected those around you, that just doing the right things or saying the right things doesn't mean you are afforded heaven. And that has huge implications for us as a church. We cannot be deceived, brothers and sisters, that through the busyness of our ministry and positively affecting those around us, that in thinking of those works and those acts and those statements will reserve us a place in glory. So what happens to those who desire a kingdom in God, with God? How, what happens to those who have said all the right things and done all the right things? Who have so deceived themselves from the truth in the narrow way of the gospel? To that Jesus has a word of condemnation. The condemnation. Jesus' words are not very pleasant. But let's make this clear. On that day, Jesus will not sit nor stand as a mild-mannered, meek rabbi, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He will stand and enthroned around him will be myriads upon myriads of angels who will sing to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as Jesus brings these people forward, there will first be a departure. Notice in the text that this condemnation begins with a departure. Notice He says, Depart from Me. Depart from Me. Again, here is a great contrast that takes place. Remember, everything is two ways. Two roads, two gates, two teach kinds of teachers... Now two types of faith. Now two types of responses. On that day, people will come. And on that day, they will desire to embrace Jesus. Jesus, come here. Draw close to me, Jesus. I want to be near you. I want to, let's be buddies. Let's be pals. Jesus, say, hey, I've, I've longed for this day. And as people are trying to embrace Jesus, Jesus will push them away. As people want to get close and cozy up to Jesus, Jesus will be pushing them away by distancing himself from them. This word depart, I want you to know, is the most powerful part of my study this week. This word depart speaks of a violent and abrupt separation. For those that think that this departure is only short lived, like when your mom really, really got mad at you and, and pounded, you know, thunder from heaven, oh, you're going to rue the day that you did this, and, and uh, oh my goodness, the pain that's coming your Wait till your father gets home, okay? Even with our mothers, compassion would cause them to relent, long suffering would cause them to turn away and say okay yes you're grounded before only a short time and then you'll be brought back into it I want you to recognize that the departure to hell is used in the present imperative depart from me indicates that Jesus's command of the unrighteous is a total and forever separation literally what Jesus is saying in the text when he says depart from me is When you think you've gone far enough away from me, you're only halfway. Keep going. Literally what Jesus is saying is, get lost. I want nothing to do with you. I've got no time for you. I have nothing more to say. Jesus spoke in the language of Aramaic. My dad, who is an Assyrian, spoke... Uh, Aramaic as, as, a, uh, as a young man and still to this day and I called him and said Dad, what, what would be the word in Aramaic for depart? and my dad started articulating it and I don't even know if my dad knew the text that I was, was driving home and he said, Tim, the word depart is a pretty powerful word in, in Aramaic what it literally means is as far as you can go I want you there I, I get as far away from me as possible He said the word depart wasn't a word that was used by people because it was so, such a harsh word. And he says, but you know what? He says, the word that I think of, the best word picture I can think of from the Scriptures is when the prophet says that when your sins are forgiven, you can rest assured that your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. I said, keep talking, Dad. I got my pen. Tell me a little bit more. He says, well, what are you getting at? I says, here's the thing. Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. And based on the word that Jesus would have used in Aramaic, the promise he gives to the redeemed is your sin is thrown as far as the east is from the west. It's as far away as you can think of. That's the promise to the redeemed. The promise to the unredeemed is you you will be thrown as far as the east is from the west, out of the presence of God. Wow, what a Mother's Day message. These are powerful words from Jesus. This word depart, let me just give you one more thing about it, speaks of the total disrespect for the one who is spoken to. What that means is Jesus is totally unconcerned at that moment about the one He is casting out of His presence. Jesus means serious business. Now why would He do this? You see, some of us will right away say, wait a minute, isn't Jesus love and isn't Jesus forgiveness and yes, 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 and yes for a season. That is why Jesus says, I am long-suffering, I am patient so that all may come to a saving knowledge of, of God. So that they can repent. And here's the moment. Jesus' grace and His love and His mercy is being shown to you right now. So that today will be the day of salvation. Because on that day, it will not be the day of salvation. It will be the day of judgment. And Jesus will say on that day, a declaration. Notice, a declaration, I never knew you. Here's another contrast, people are declaring that they know Jesus, and Jesus is declaring to them the exact opposite, I don't know you. Now what's the cause of this declaration? That word declare is the word uh, Greek word "homologeo," which is often used to speak of one who's speaking authoritatively about bad behavior. It's an emphatic declaration. Jesus is about to pass judgment from His seat as judge, jury, and executioner. Now notice when He says, I never knew you. You need to underline the word never. Never. It's a nullifying word. It means that at no time or ever in your existence did you ever know God or did God ever know you. What that means is that these people were not at a place where they were once saved and now have fallen into sin, thereby losing their salvation. They were never saved at any point in the past. At no time whatsoever have they ever experienced true and real salvation because genuine, listen to me very clearly, genuine salvation can never be lost. So he says, I I didn't know you. When he says, I never knew you, speaks not of a casual relationship, but one of total intimacy. When you read the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when it spoke about the sexual intimacy between a husband and wife, it would say that uh, Abraham laid with his wife Sarah and they conceived a child. Um that uh, Adam knew his wife Eve and laid with her and they had their first son the sexual intimacy and knowing of a spouse were one and the same what Jesus is saying to us is that to know him is to have a level of real and true intimacy not in the sexual side of things but in the, the idea of the depth of the relationship and so here's the thing that should cause us great question are you simply hanging out with Jesus because he brings you something that's not knowing him are you simply dating Jesus and what I mean by that is the jury's still out and, and yeah you like Jesus and there's some things that he says that you really uh, uh, enjoy but but at the end of the day you're not really sure is Jesus simply an insurance policy whereby you need to make sure your payments are on time and you keep track of the different things you need to do so that in the case of a fire you're covered what Jesus is articulating is, that's not knowing me. And so if you think that by hanging around Jesus, or being around people that love Jesus, or even having a desire and a like and admiration for Jesus, or that simply Jesus is your life insurance policy for the day of judgment, all of those will fall terribly short in what it means to know Jesus. The best way to explain what, what it means to know Jesus is engraved in a cathedral in Lubeck, Germany that echoed Jesus' sobering declaration. Notice what it says. Jesus says, You call Me Master, but You obey Me not. You call Me light and see Me not. You call Me the way and walk Me not. You call Me life and live Me not. You call Me wise and follow Me not. You call Me fair and love Me not. You call Me rich and ask Me not. You call Me eternal and seek me not. So if I condemn thee, blame me not. You see, a lot of us will say, wait a minute, what kind of Jesus is this? So, I mean, doesn't He understand? We've, we've, we're trying. We're, we're trying to do our thing. And Jesus is saying, are you really? Can you affirm those things and say, you know what, He is my Master. He is my light. He is the way, the life, the wisdom, the fairest, the richest, the eternal one. But do I obey Him? Do I see Him? Why walk by Him and, and live through Him and, and follow Him and love Him and ask Him and seek Him. You can't just say things or do things in light of what they may do for you without bowing the knee to Jesus. And I want you to notice that Jesus, when He declares to these people, I never knew you, He declares the reason for their damnation. He says, write that down, your, their damnation. He says, you workers of iniquity or lawlessness. Jesus says to those who did mighty deeds, to those who said prophetic words, that they are not given a nice try or a participation trophy, but they are given an assessment that will ring true in the unredeemed ears for all of eternity. What is it? They're workers of iniquity, of lawlessness. Now I want to make this abundantly clear. The profession of Christ and a continual practice of lawlessness as one's lifestyle are not compatible. You can't love the world and love Jesus at the same time. As Jesus stated, a good tree will bear good fruit. And so the question is, are you bearing good fruit this morning? Is it seen in your life? Now Jesus is not teaching a sinless perfection. For He knows that in our physical flesh, that even the greatest of genuine believers will fall to sin. And even at times fall to a pattern of sin for a period of time. But what Jesus is talking about is those who practice lawlessness. Amidst all of their prophetic words, amidst all their powerful acts, Jesus says these people live and commit sin. That there's never been a genuine change of the heart. There's never been a moment of repentance because they still enjoy their sin. And when a true believer sins, and when a true believer comes to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that grace and, and that faith that God gives will well up in them a total grief over their sin, and they will confess that sin and seek to turn from that sin that has grieved the heart of Almighty God. So the question this morning is, to be Christ-like is to grieve over sin and the affront that it brings And seemingly these people said all the right things and did all the right things, never the while repenting of their sin and turning from their sin to follow Jesus Christ. And so that then begs the question, why are we not examining ourselves more closely? Now right away you say, well, what's the good news? Jesus, this is again the worst Mother's Day message Tim could have ever preached. This is terrible. Here's the grace in the Gospel. There's a calling. Notice Jesus says... Not all will enter into a place that leads to destruction. Notice he says that there is the One who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. Do you want to alleviate all of this? Well, there's a calling Mother's Day is known to be the most busy day of phone calls that takes place on our yearly calendar. But the most important call you will make today or receive today will not be from family or to your mom. It will be a call that you will accept from Jesus Christ Himself. And it's the call to bow the knee to Jesus. In the same passage that we read from Luke, Jesus gives in Luke chapter 13 and 14. Two examples, one of a great banquet that is set and one of a wedding feast where the master of the house calls all to come and be a part of it. And we are reminded from that truth that Jesus is right and true when he says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says at another time, I will no wise cast out. And so Jesus is offering the call. So if you sit there and say, what kind of Jesus is this that would condemn people to hell? The reason why he's condemning them to hell is because he has over the entirety of one's life cried out from all of creation and from his word and the person and work of Jesus Christ, come to me, come to me, come to me and you will be saved. And these people, amidst all of their religious activity, have over and over again shut the door to Jesus, and now on that last and great day of judgment, now they're changing their mind. They really want to be let in. And so how do you receive this calling? How do you accept this calling? Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, tell us that it involves three things that are all together in coming to Jesus. Number one, you come to Christ. And what you do is you you lay yourself out your entire life and say, Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. You're the answer. Jesus, what You have done for me is the answer that I need for my sin. Apart from You, i got nothing. I'm bankrupt spiritually. I've got nothing to give You. The only thing I have is my sin, and I put it upon You, and I come to You, and I humbly submit myself to You, Jesus. You are Lord. You are Savior. I trust You. And I turn from my sins, and I treasure you, Jesus, for all, above all things. And that's what it means to come to Jesus, to come to Christ. Have you done that? Well, Jesus says in Luke 14, you've got to count the cost. This won't be easy. It's going to cost you greatly from a human perspective. It's going to mean stop living for yourself and calling yourself Lord and not only calling Jesus Lord but living according to that life that Jesus is Lord over all and allowing every decision, every impulse, every passion, every prerogative, every pursuit to funnel through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And to recognize... That your sin is an affront to God every day. Every sin that we make is an affront to God that seek that needs to be sought out for God's forgiveness. And it means that we carry our cross, Jesus says in Luke 14. Not in our own strength but that each and every day as we rise up, we say, Lord, I can't do it without You. And so I pray grace upon grace in my life that would come from You, that You say You will give abundantly without finding fault, and I ask for Your wisdom, and I ask for Your grace. As I try to live out this life, I know I can not accomplish it on my own. And when we come to Jesus like that, when we count the cost, and when we carry our cross totally submitted to the grace And love of Jesus Christ, Jesus says He will bear witness in our souls that on that day He will not say, Depart from Me, I never knew you. He will say with His arms open, He will embrace us and say, Well done, good and faithful servants. And so, we have to examine our hearts. Why are we following Jesus? What are we using Him for? Our future will be determined by the answer to that question. And so this text does three things. It encourages, hopefully, the true believers that they can have assurance of their faith. It convicts those in our audience who are self-deceived into thinking that they're followers of Jesus Christ when when they are not, in fact. And it should be a challenge to all of us to embrace the evaluating words of Jesus now instead of on the day of judgment. Brothers and sisters, following Jesus isn't a game. And we need to take this moment and be sober-minded and recognize the grace, the opportunity that God gives today for salvation. At the end of Luke chapter 14, He says, He who has an ear, let him hear. And I pray by the Spirit of God you would hear the calling of God and you would submit to it to make Christ your Lord and Savior without a shadow of a doubt so that when you see Jesus, you will be filled with joy and not regret let's pray father God we thank you again for this day a day that yes we celebrate moms but another day for us to hear about your grace to experience your love to see your goodness to have the opportunity to repent and so Lord by your grace you have given us your word You have given us the opportunity to use our minds and to hear with our ears and to open our hearts to your word. You've given us another opportunity to come to you with a sincere faith and with open hearts. Lord, today is the day of salvation. And we have now gone through a passage that tells us that day will not be forever but a time of Your own choosing, the time for grace and repentance and salvation will draw closed. And it will be too late. So Lord, I pray for anyone today who may be deceiving themselves into thinking that they are saved when they are not, Lord, that they would stop in their tracks and they would seek You with all Your heart so that You may be found. Lord, cause us to evaluate our motives. Cause us to evaluate our ministry. Cause us to evaluate the very makeup of who we are so that we may see you in our lives because without your grace and without your mercy, we are lost. And it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a just God. And so, Lord, on this day where we celebrate mothers, let us celebrate the salvation you give us And revel in that. Now, Lord, send us from this place. And, Lord, I pray that we would use the rest of this day and the rest of all of our days to honor You and to put You number one in our lives in all that we do. Now, let us fellowship with one another as we are dismissed from this place in Your grace and in Your mercy and love. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said,